Chapter Fourteen, Part One of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Fourteen, Part One, The Crest of Eastbrook. So and look onward, upward, where the starry light appears, where, in spite of coward's doubting or your own heart's trembling fears, you shall reap in joy the harvest you have sown today in tears. "'Any objections to my beginning to break ground on the West Eighty today?' asked Laddie of Father, at breakfast Monday morning. "'I had thought we would commence on the East Forty, when planning the work.' "'So had I,' said Laddie. "'But since I thought that, a very particular reason has developed for my beginning to plough the West Eighty at once. And there is a charming little ditty I feel strongly impelled to whistle every step of the way.' Father looked at him sharply. And so, I think, did all of us. And because we loved him deeply, we saw that his face was a trifle pale for him, his clear eyes troubled, in spite of his laughing way. He knew we were studying him, too, but he wouldn't have said anything that would make us look in question if he had minded our doing it. That was exactly like Laddie. He meant it when he said he hated a secret. He said there was no place on earth for a man to look for sympathy and love if he couldn't find it in his own family. And he never had been so happy since I had been big enough to notice his moods, as he had been since all of us knew about the princess. He didn't wait for father to ask why he'd changed his mind about the place to begin. You see, he said, a very charming friend of mine expressed herself strongly last night about the degrading influence of farming. especially that branch of agriculture which evolves itself in a furrow. Hence it is my none too happy work to plough the West Eighty, where she can't look our way without seeing me, and I have got to whistle my favorite tune, where she must stop her ears if she doesn't hear, and then it will be my painful task, I fear, to endeavor to convince her that I am still clean, decent, and not degraded. Oh, laddie, cried mother. Abominable foolishness! Roared father, like he does roar once in about two years. Isn't it now? asked Laddie sweetly. I don't know what has got into her head. She has seen me ploughing fifty times since their land has joined ours, and she never objected before. I can tell you blessed well, said mother. She didn't care two hoots how much my son ploughed, but it makes a difference when it comes to her lover. Ma, you speak amazing reckless, said Laddie. If I thought there was anything in that feature of the case, I'd attempt a highland fling on the ridgepole of our barn. Be serious, said father sternly. This is no laughing matter. That's precisely why I am laughing, said Laddie. Would it help me any to sit down and weep? I trow not. I have thought most of the silent watches. By the way, they are far from silent in May. And as I read my title clear, it's my job to plough the West Eighty immediate. Father tried to look stern, but he just had to laugh. All right, then, plough it, he said. What did she say? asked mother. Phew! Laddie threw up both hands. She must have been bottled some time on the subject. The ferment was a spill of considerable magnitude. The flood rather overwhelmed me, because it was so unexpected. I had been taking for granted that she accepted my circumstances and surroundings as she did me. But no, kind friends, far otherwise. She said last night, in the clearest English I ever heard spoken impromptu, that I was a man suitable for her friend, but I would have to change my occupation 
before I could be received on more than a friendly footing. "'On more than a friendly footing?' repeated Mother. "'You have her exact words,' said Laddie. "'Kindly pass the ham.' "'What did you say?' "'Nothing. I am going to plough the answer. Please don't object to my beginning this morning.' "'You try yourself all winter to get as far as you have, and then upset the bowl like this?' cried Mother. "'Softly, Mummy, softly,' said Laddie. "'What am I to do? I've definitely decided on my work.' I see land and life, as you and father taught me, in range and in perspective, far more than you've got from it. You had a first-hand wrestle. The land I covet has been greatly improved already. I can do what I choose with it, making no more strenuous effort than plowing. And I am proud to say that I love to plow. I like my feet in the soil. I want my head in the spring air. I can become almost tipsy on the odors that fill my nostrils." Music evolved by the Almighty is plenty good enough for me. I'm proud of a spanking big team, under the control of a touch or a word. I enjoy farming, and I am going to be a farmer. Plowing is one of the most pleasing parts of the job. Sowing the seed beats it a little, from an artistic standpoint. Either is preferable to haying, threshing, or corn-cutting. All are parts of my work, so I'm going to begin. Mother, I hope you don't mind if I take your graze. I'll be very careful. But the picture I present to my girl today is going to go hard with her at best, so I'd like it to make it level best. He arose, went around, and knelt beside Mother. He took her, chair and all, in his arms. Best of mothers on my breast, lean thy head, and sink to rest. She quoted. Mother laughed. Mammy, he asked, bending toward her. Am I clean? "'You goose,' she said, putting her arms around him and holding him tight. "'Gander, love,' said Laddie, turning up his face for a kiss. "'Honest, mother, you have been through nigh unto forty years of it. "'Tell me, can a man be a farmer and keep neat enough not to be repulsive to a refined woman?' "'Your father is the answer,' said mother. "'All of you know how perfectly repulsive he is and always has been to me.' "'Repulsive,' said father. "'That's an ugly word.' "'There are a whole lot of unpleasant things that peep around corners occasionally,' said Laddie. "'But whoever of you dear people it was that showed Mr. Pryor the crest of Eastbrook "'brought out this particular dragon for me to slay.' "'Tut, tut! Now what does that mean?' said Father. "'Have we had a little exhibition of that especial brand of pride that goes before a fall?' "'We have, and I take the tumble,' said Laddie. "'Watch me start. Jack fell down and broke his crown.' Question. Will Jill come tumbling after? My heart stopped, and I was shaking in my bare feet, because I wore no shoes to shake in. Oh, my soul! No matter how Laddie jested, I knew he was almost killed. The harder he made fun, the worse he was hurt. I opened my mouth to say I did it. I had to. But Leon began to talk. Well, I think she's smart, he cried. If she was going to give you the mitten, why didn't she do it long ago? She had to find out first whether there was a possibility of her wanting to keep it, said Laddie. You are sure you are all signed, sealed, and delivered on this plowing business, are you? asked Leon. Dead sure, said Laddie. All right, if you like it, said Leon. None for me after college. But say, you can be a farmer and not plow, you know. You go trim the trees and work at cleaner, more gentlemanly jobs. I'll plow that field. I'd just as soon as not. 
I plowed last year, and you said I did well, didn't you, father? Yes, on the potato patch, said father. A cornfield is a different thing. I fear you are too light. Oh, but that was a year ago, cried Leon. He pushed back his chair and went to father. Just feel my biceps now. Most like steel, he boasted. A fellow can grow a lot in a year, and all the riding I've been doing, and all the exercise I've had. Cert, I could plow that meadow. You're all right, Shaver, said Laddie. I'll not forget your offer, but in this case it wouldn't help. Either the princess takes her medicine, or I take mine. I'm going to live on land. I'm going to plow in plain sight of the prior house this week, if I have to hire Jacob Hood to get the chance. May I plow, and may I take the graze, father? Yes, said father, roundly. Then here goes, said Laddie. You needn't fret, mother. I'll not overheat them. I must give a concert simultaneous with this plowing performance, and I'm particular about the music, so I can't go too fast. Also, I'll wrap the harness. Goodness knows I'm not thinking about the horses, said mother. No, but if they turned up next Sunday, wind broken, and with nice large patches of hair rubbed from their sides, you would be. If you were me, would you whistle or vocalize to start on? Mother burst right out crying, and laid her face all tear-wet against him. Laddie kissed her, and wiped away the tears, teased her, and soon as he could he bolted from the east door. But I was closest, so I saw plainly that his eyes were wet too. My soul and body! And I had done it! I might as well get it over. I showed Mr. Pryor the trinket, I said. How did you come to do that? asked Father sternly. When he was talking with Mother, he told her Laddie would be wasted farming. Wasted? That's what he said. Mother told him you had always farmed, and you were a power in this community. She told him about what you did, because you wanted to, and what you could do if you chose, about holding office, you know. And that seemed to make him think heaps more of you, so I thought it would be a good thing for him to know about the Crusaders, too, and I ran and got the crest. I thought it would help. And so it will, said Mother. They constantly make the best showing they can. We might as well, too. The trouble is, they got more than they expected. They thought they could look down on us and patronize us, if they came near at all, when they found we were quite as well educated as they, had as much land, could hold prominent offices if we chose, and had the right to that bauble. They veered to the other extreme. Now they seem to demand that we quit work. Move to the city, sit on a cushion, and sew a fine seam, suggested father. Exactly, said mother. They'll have to find out we are running our own business. But I'm sorry it fell to Laddie to show them. You could have done it better. It will come out all right. The princess is not going to lose a man like Laddie, on account of how he makes his money. Don't be too confident, said father. With people of their stripe, how much money a man can earn, and at what occupation, constitute the whole of life. She wasn't too confident. Yesterday she had been so happy she almost flew. Today she kept things going, and sang a lot. But nearly every time you looked at her, you could see her lips draw tight, a frown cross her forehead, and her head shake. Pretty soon we heard a racket on the road, so we went out. There was Laddie with a matched team of carriage horses and a plow. Now, in dreadfully busy times, father let Ned and Joe work a little, but not very much. They were not plow horses. They were roadsters. They liked to prance, and bow their necks and dance to the carriage. It shamed them to be hitched to a plow. They drooped their heads and slunk along like dogs caught sucking eggs. 
but they were a sight on the landscape. They were lean and slender, and yet round, too, matched dapple-gray on flank and side, with long snow-white manes and tails. No wonder Mother didn't want them to work. Laddie had reached through the garden fence, and hooked a bunch of red tulips and yellow daffodils. The red was at Joe's ear, and the yellow at Ned's, and they did look fine. So did he. Big, strong, clean, a red flower in his floppy straw hat-band, and after he drove through the gate, he began a shrill, fife-like whistle you could have heard a half-mile. See the merry farmer-boy tramp the meadows through, swing his hoe in careless joy while dashing off the dew. Bobolink in maple high trills a note of glee. Farmer-boy, in gay reply, now whistles cheerily. The chorus was all whistle, and it was written for folks who could. It went up until it almost split the echoes, and Laddie could easily sail a measure above the notes. He did it, too. As for me, I kept from sight. For a week, Laddie whistled and plowed. He wore that tune threadbare, and got an almost continuous pucker on his lips. Leon said if he didn't stop whistling, and sing more, the girls would think he was doing a prunes and prism stunt. So after that he sang the words and whistled the chorus. But he made no excuse to go, and he didn't go to Pryor's. When Sunday came, he went to Westchester to see Elizabeth, and stayed until Monday morning. Not once that week did the princess ride past our house, or her father either. By noon Monday, Laddie was back in the field, and I had all I could bear. He was neither whistling nor singing so much now, because he was away at the south end, where he couldn't be seen or heard at Pryor's. He almost scoured the skin from him, and he wore his gloves more carefully than usual. If he soiled his clothing in the least, and it looked as if he would make more than his share of work, he washed the extra pieces at night. Tuesday morning I hurried with all my might, and then I ran to the field where he was. I climbed on the fence, sat there until he came up, and then I gave him some cookies. He stopped the horses, climbed beside me and ate them. Then he put his arms around me and hugged me tight. "'Laddie, do you know I did it?' I wailed. "'Did you now?' said Laddie. "'No, I didn't know for sure, but I had suspicions. "'You always have had such a fondness for that particular piece of tinware.' "'But, Laddie, it means so much.' "'Doesn't it?' said Laddie. "'A few days ago no one could have convinced me "'that it meant anything at all to me, or ever could. "'Just look at me now.' "'Don't joke, Laddie. Something must be done.' "'Well, ain't I doing it?' asked Laddie. "'Look at all these acres and acres of Jim Dandy plowing.' "'Don't,' I begged. "'Why don't you go over there?' "'No use, chicken,' said Laddie. "'You see, her exact stipulation was that I must change my occupation before I came again.' "'What does she want you to do?' "'Law, I think. Unfortunately, I showed her a letter from Jerry, asking me to enter his office this fall.' "'Hadn't you better do it, Laddie?' How would you like to be shut in little stuffy rooms, and set to droning over books and papers every hour of the day, all your life, and to spend the best of your brain and bodily strength straightening out other men's quarrels? Oh, Laddie, you just couldn't, I cried. Precisely, said Laddie, I just couldn't, and I just won't. What can you do? I might compromise on stock, he said. I could follow the same occupation as her father and with better success. Neither he nor his men gets the best results from horses. They don't understand them, especially the breeds they are attempting to handle. 
Most Arab horsemen are tent-dwellers. They travel from one oasis to another with their stock. At night the herds are gathered around them as children. As children they love them, pet them, feed them. Each is named for a divinity, a planet, or a famous ruler, and the understanding between master and beast is perfect. Honestly, little sister, I think you have got to believe in the God of Israel in order to say the right word to an Arabian horse, and I know you must believe in the God of love. A beast of that breed, jerked, kicked, and scolded, is a fine horse ruined. If I owned half the stock Mr. Pryor has over there, I could put it in such shape for market that I could get twice from it what his men will. Are Thomas and James rough with the horses? Like master, like man, quoted Laddie. They are. They are foolish with the Kentucky strain, and fools with the Arab. And yet, that combination beats the world. But I must get on with a P.C. job. He slid from the fence, took a drink from his water jug, and pulled a handful of grass for each horse. As he stood feeding them, I almost fell from the top rail. Laddie, I whispered, look, Mr. Pryor is halfway across the field on Ranger. So, said Laddie, now I wonder, shall I go? No, indeed, said Laddie. Stay right where you are. It can't be anything of much importance. At first it didn't seem to be. They talked about the weather, the soil, the team. Laddie scooped a handful of black earth, and holding it out, told Mr. Pryor all about how good it was, and why, and he seemed interested. Then they talked about everything, until, if he had been Jacob Hood, he would have gone away. But just at the time when I expected him to start, he looked at Laddie straight and hard. "'I missed you Sabbath evening,' he said. Then I looked at him. He had changed some way. He seemed more human, more like our folks, less cold and stern. "'I sincerely hope it was unanimous,' said Laddie. Mr. Pryor had to laugh. "'It was a majority, at any rate.' Laddie stared dazed. "'You see, that was kind of a joke. An easy one, because I caught it. But we were not accustomed to expecting a jest from Mr. Pryor.' Not one of us dreamed there was a joke between his hat-crown and his boot-soles. Then Laddie laughed, but he sobered quickly. "'I'm mighty sorry if Mrs. Pryor missed me,' he said. "'I thought of her. I have grown to be her devoted slave, and I hoped she liked me.' "'You put it mildly,' said Mr. Pryor. "'Since you didn't come when she expected you, we've had the worst time with her that we have had since we reached this da er uh, er um this country.' "'Could you make any suggestion?' asked Laddie. "'I could. I would suggest that you act like the sensible fellow I know you to be, and come, as usual, at your accustomed times.' "'But I'm forbidden, man,' cried Laddie. "'Ugh! Such awful things as Mr. Pryor said.' "'Forbidden!' he cried. "'Is a man's roof his own, or is it not? While I live, I propose to be the head of my family. I invite you. I ask you.' Mrs. Pryor and I want you. What more is necessary? Two things, said Laddie, just as serenely. That Miss Pryor wants me, and that I want to come. Do you mean to tell me that you don't want to come, eh? After the fight you put up to force your way in? Laddie studied the sky, a whimsy smile on his lips. Now wasn't that a good fight, he inquired. I'm mighty proud of it. But not now, or ever, do I wish to enter your house again, if Miss Pryor doesn't want, and welcome me. 
Then he went over, took Mr. Pryor's horse by the head, and began working with its bridle. It didn't set right some way, and Mr. Pryor had jerked, spurred, and mauled, until there was a big space tramped to mortar. Laddie slid his fingers beneath the leather, eased it a little, and ran his hands over the fretful creature's head. It just stopped, stood still, pushed its nose under his arm, and pressed against his side. Mr. Pryor arose in one stirrup, swung around, and alighted. He looped an arm through the bridle rein, and with both hands gripped his whipstock. "'How the devil do you do it?' he asked, as if he were provoked. First, the bridle was uncomfortable. Next, you surely know, Mr. Pryor, that a man can transfer his mental state to his mount.' Laddie pointed to the churned-up earth. "'That represents your mental state. "'This,' he slid his hand down the neck of the horse, "'portrays mine.' Mr. Pryor's face reddened, but Laddie was laughing so heartily, he joined in sort of sickly-like. "'Oh, I doubt if you are so damnably calm,' he cried. "'I'm calm enough, so far as that goes,' said Laddie. "'I'm not denying that I've got about all the heartache I can conveniently carry.' "'Do you mind telling me how far this affair has gone?' "'Wouldn't a right-minded man give the woman in the case the first chance to answer that question? "'I greatly prefer that you ask Miss Pryor.'" End of chapter 14, part 1